1: This is Intelligence Squared U.S., the nation's leading nonpartisan debate series, where the world's most influential minds debate the most important questions of our time, and you decide who carries the day.
0: Progressive populism unifies and brings us all together.
1: The Republican Party is
2: institutionally and demographically stronger than it's been in decades.
0: But if
1: religion and belief in God is such a great force, driving moral progress. How come it fails so abysmally? Science is very good, but it's half the equation. You need both.
3: The U.S. does need to challenge China's unfair trade practices.
4: Capitalism is not a blessing. It's unstable, it's unequal, it's undemocratic,
3: and it's unsustainable ecologically. We are winning the battle against uh, famine, war, pestilence, and even death. That is thanks to capitalism.
1: Our debate will go in three rounds. And then our audience will choose the winner. As always, if all goes well, civil discourse will also win. Hi, everybody. I'm John Donvan, host and moderator of Intelligence Squared U.S. Debates. And in this episode, we're going to be revisiting a debate on a topic that's been in your headlines quite a bit recently. We're going to be looking at how social media platforms should be deciding what content you can or cannot post online. We're seeing Twitter and Facebook taking decidedly different approaches to this question. Twitter recently flagged a tweet from President Trump where he said that mail-in ballots would be enabling voter fraud. The president responded to being flagged with a brand new executive order that would strip social media companies of their protections from liability for anything that users post. Facebook is a different story. Facebook has maintained that with the exception of some specific dangers, free speech must be respected. Mark Zuckerberg said, we should enable as much expression as possible. That said, Facebook has taken down some of Trump's campaign ads that featured a Nazi symbol and has allowed users to opt out of political ads. Well, with all of this going on, what does it mean for the future of your newsfeed? And where should social media companies draw the line on possibly false or offensive or hateful user content? In 2019, we brought four very strong debaters to the stage to argue those questions. We had a debate, so let's hear it. Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech, so says the U.S. Constitution. But what about Facebook or Twitter or any social media platform? Those companies face no constraints on setting limits on what people can say on their platforms. It is, after all, their ball game; ballgame. They own the space. But should they be limiting speech when it is so offensive sometimes and morally threatening that it crosses the line into what we call haste speech? Same for information that is false, pretending to be true, what some call fake news. Would doing so turn these companies into censorship factories where free expression is put at serious risk? Or perhaps should these uh, same companies take a page from the First Amendment, and encourage speech to run as far as it wants to. Well, we think all this has the makings of a debate, so let's have it. Yes or no to this statement. Constitutional free speech principles can save social media companies from themselves. I'm John Donvan. I stand between two teams of two experts in this topic who will argue for and against this resolution. As always, our debate will go in three rounds, and then our audience here at the National Constitution Center in Philadelphia will choose the winner, and if all goes well, civil discourse will also win. Our resolution, one more time, constitutional free speech principles can save social media companies from themselves. Let's meet the team arguing for the resolution. Please first welcome David French. David, welcome to Intelligence Squared. You are a senior writer for the National Review. You're an attorney. Sometimes you say you're a recovering attorney. Uh, You're a free speech advocate. You're a veteran of Operation Iraqi Freedom. You have a New York Times bestselling book out, uh, and another one called The Great American Divorce coming out this year. After your long career in law and your love of the First Amendment, the fact that we are at the National Constitution Center, a shrine to the Constitution, does being here give you chills? The debate gives me chills because it reminds me of uh, two dates,
2: 1789, the date the Constitution was ratified, and 1798, the date that the founding generation passed the Alien and Sedition Acts, indicating that debates about free speech have been alive as long as our Constitution has been alive.
1: And are still with us as we're going to be debating tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, again, David French. And you have a partner arguing this with you. Please welcome, ladies and gentlemen, Corinne McSherry. Corinne, thanks so much for joining us at IQ2. You are the legal director at the Electronic Frontier Foundation. That, if you don't know, is a nonprofit that defends civil liberties in the digital world. Corinne, you have said that some of your favorite cases involve defending political expression. Do you have a particular example you can share?
3: It's hard to choose. So I'll just tell you about a recent case that was particularly fun. And that involved a situation where a group of activists took to the streets of Washington, D.C., and Philadelphia, and New York, handing out spoof copies of the Washington Post, in which the headline announced that Trump had at last resigned. It was lots of fun. They got lots of attention. The Washington Post also paid attention and was not happy. So they received a legal threat. They called us. We intervened, and we explained to the Washington Post what they should already know, which is that that spoof was protected by the First Amendment. Washington Post should know that. They realized it. They backed down. We called it a win.
1: (laughs) I can see what kind of debater you are already. Again, ladies and gentlemen, the team arguing for the resolution. And we have a team arguing against this resolution. Please first welcome, ladies and gentlemen, Nate Persley. Nate, it's great to have you at Intelligence Squared. First time here, and you are a professor at Stanford Law. You are the director of the Stanford Project on Democracy and the Internet. You are leading the charge to make Facebook data available for election research. Tell us a little about what that's about.
4: So along with a Harvard professor named Gary King, uh, I co-chair something called Social Science One. And this is an attempt to make Facebook data available to the world's scientific community in a safe, privacy protected way uh, to ensure that we can figure out the answers as to how social media is affecting democracy around the world.
1: Okay, ladies and gentlemen, Nate, personally. And your partner, Marietje Schake, you have traveled some way to come with us. It's great to have you here at Intelligence Squared. You are a Dutch politician. You are a member of the European Parliament. You are also the founder of the European Parliament Intergroup on the Digital Agenda for Europe. In 2017, Politico named you one of the 28 most influential Europeans, calling you the ultimate digital M-E-P, what is that?
0: Um, For the past 10 years that I've had the pleasure of serving in the European Parliament, I've tried to bring the worlds of technology and politics closer together. Technology is everywhere, Uh, digitization impacts all aspects of life, and it's very, very important that politicians are able to make the right decisions. So uh, I suppose because I'm one of a few that's focused on this, that Uh, got me that uh, curious title.
1: Please welcome the team arguing against the resolution. And so on to the debate. We start with round one. Round one will be opening statements by each debater in turn. The resolution is constitutional free speech principles can save social media companies from themselves. Up first to argue for the motion, Corinne McSherry, legal director at the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Ladies and gentlemen, Corinne McSherry.
3: I feel like this is what I live and breathe these days. The reality of defending speech online is talking about content moderation and trying to figure out what to do about it. Um, Because I think one thing we should surely be able to agree on is that it desperately needs saving. The content moderation system, what we call sometimes platform or private censorship, um, is fundamentally broken. The internet offers extraordinary tools for us to connect, to organize, to educate, access information. It's an amazing, amazing thing. But... The reality is online speech can also be awful, ugly, and cause real-world harm. The question is, what's the best way to address that problem? And the reality is that the current system of content moderation is not the answer First of all, the fact of the matter is social media platforms are just really bad at deciding what speech should stay up and what should stay down. We've seen prohibitions on hate speech used to shut down conversations between women and color about online harassment. We've seen rules against harassment used to shut down the accounts of activists um, in Egypt and the United States and around the world. We've seen a ban on nudity to be u- used to take down classic artworks, including The Philadelphia Museum of Art had its account flagged because it posted a so-called suggestive painting of a woman eating an ice cream cone. That was taken down by Facebook. Queer and transgender youth hoping to connect with new communities are having difficulty doing so because of Facebook's real names policy, which prevents them from engaging online anonymously. And the final thing that makes me particularly frustrated is if the goal was to stop hate and counter-extremism, it's not working. So for example, Facebook's real names policy that prevents people from engaging anonymously didn't stop Russia from gaming the system. So it strikes me as just a little bit crazy that so many people are pushing for the companies to double down on what is clearly a failing system. We need a better approach. And we can start by turning to our core constitutional principles. If we look to the First Amendment as a guidepost, perhaps we could get to clearer definitions of what content should and should not be restricted on what terms by looking to, for example, decades of defamation law. Companies could apply a kind of strict scrutiny to their um, policies. Our default could be that speech stays up rather than going down, following our long tradition of no prior restraints on speech. And above all, we could have due process protections. In the First Amendment context, the burden of proving that speech is unprotected or shouldn't be protected rests with the censor. We should have the same situation with respect to social media so we could have notice to users before the content is taken down, an opportunity to appeal. And again, the burden is on the censor to explain why the speech should be taken down. And in the meantime, it stays up because that is our default belief in this country.
1: Thank you, Corinne McSherry. That resolution, again, constitutional free speech principles can save social media companies from themselves. Here is our first debater speaking against the resolution, Nate Persley, professor at Stanford Law.
4: So when I think uh, about what might save social media companies from themselves, I think a little bit maybe about antitrust law, maybe about greater privacy protections. I rarely think that what we need is actually more hate speech More bots, more trolls, more foreign interference in election. And that actually is what the First Amendment would require if these social media companies were to apply it. The First Amendment is to restrict government. It's not actually to restrict private companies like Facebook. Actually, if you believe in the First Amendment, you will actually believe that Facebook and other social media companies can apply different rules to the speech that's on their platform. My arguments against this resolution are are just a few uh, short points. The first is that it's actually naive to think that you can apply the First Amendment in the context of a social media platform. The second is that it's actually undesirable. The third is that it's actually illegal. And the fourth is that it's actually hypocritical. Besides that, I agree with this resolution, okay? (laughs) Uh, So the first is that it's naive. What these social media companies do, the most important power that they do is that they organize information, right? They tell you what goes at the top of your newsfeed and what goes at the bottom. Any factor that's in the algorithm that is based on content, violates the First Amendment. These decisions that they are making about, for example, whether they're going to put engaging content at the top, whether they're going to prioritize disinformation or non-disinformation, all of these decisions are uh, going to be unconstitutional if they were applied by the government. The second argument is that it's actually undesirable. So as Corinne mentioned, yes, there's the possibility that then you would end up having more nudity in your in your newsfeed. It's much more than that. Virtually all pornography is protected by the First Amendment, right? Because Facebook's not going to know it when it sees it. And so do they actually have an obligation? Does Instagram, which has 13-year-olds on its platform, have an obligation to respect the same constitutional restrictions on pornography that the government does? Similarly, I have a real problem with, with uh, federal or state or even university-banned uh, hate speech laws. I think they're overbroad. But does Facebook actually have to decide that just because Nazis are allowed to march in Skokie that they can march across your newsfeed? The third point is that it's actually illegal for Facebook to do this. We tend to think, look at Facebook through the American lens here, right? That we think that, I mean, how could anybody be against applying American constitutional principles, right, to American audiences? The truth is Facebook is an international platform. And so while Holocaust denial is perfectly protected under the U.S. Constitution, right, and you can say all kinds of things, you know what, Germany might have a different view on this. And for an American multinational corporation to then decide that there is one standard... A U.S. constitutional standard that then is going to apply around the world is a real problem. The last point is that it's actually hypocritical. Because if you believe in the First Amendment, you actually believe that different social media companies can come up with different rules as to what kind of content should appear on their platform. If you want anarchy, if you want all of the the potential hate speech, pornography and the like, there's plenty of places on the Internet for you. But also, if you're a social media company that's a little bit worried about what might happen to the community under those circumstances, that maybe it would have an effect, whether it's on elections or whether it's on the users themselves, that then you can make the decision that, you know what, there are going to be some rules that we don't apply to government, but would be particularly fitted in this case.
1: We'll be back with more opening statements from Intelligence Squared US right after the break. For more than a decade now, I have been your host and moderator. I have stood on stage between two teams of two and in front of a live audience, ready to hear new ideas and consider arguments on their merits, while you, our audience, have always been a critical and irreplaceable part of what we do as an organization. This spring, everything changed. Live events became impossible. And while we were all hearing conflicting news on the spread of coronavirus, and we were all battling an infodemic, we knew that we still owed you True Debate, the substantive, fact-filled competition of ideas that you have subscribed to for years. So, our team here got to work. In the past few months, we have transformed Intelligence Squared. We have developed an in-home studio kit that we ship out to our debaters' homes worldwide so that they can be part of our program. I've gotten very familiar with Zoom, and I've actually moderated some of our best debates to date under the new circumstances. We're talking about more timely topics, we are bringing you more content, and we're still serving our basic fundamental mission, the one that Intelligence Squared was founded to accomplish, to elevate American public discourse. I'm sure if you're listening to this, you agree that, Democracy requires balanced, thoughtful debate on the issues that will shape our nation's future. And right now, as we gear up for a presidential election and begin to understand the global impact of this pandemic, we think America needs more of that. If you agree, we'd like your help. Intelligence Squared is a nonprofit. We're a philanthropy. We rely on your support to continue producing our series. So if you want to help make sure that we continue producing the debates you want to hear, And to offer them to millions of Americans on public radio and by podcast, I hope you will make a donation to support this program. You can donate online at iq2us.org or by clicking the link in the show notes. No contribution is too small. We don't believe in too small. So thank you, as always, for being a part of this community. And now, back to the debate. A reminder of what's going on. We're halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters, two teams of two, fighting it out over this resolution. Constitutional free speech principles can save social media companies from themselves. You've heard the first two opening statements, and now on to the third, debating for the resolution. David French, senior writer at National Review. Ladies and gentlemen, David French
2: if there's one thing that we know over 200 plus years of attempted censorship in the United States of America it's that censors constantly consistently mess things up exacerbate divisions so last march there was an interesting poll uh, that the New York Times reported on is a poll of college students and it said to college students if you had to choose between inclusion and free speech which would you choose And a majority of college students chose inclusion. That is absolutely not the choice. It's the choice that we tend to think as being made here on social media, that there is some sort of battle between inclusion and free speech, when the reality is exactly the opposite. If what history has shown us is that free speech facilitates inclusion, free speech facilitates justice, as Frederick Douglass said, free speech is the great moral renovator of society we have not lived in a truly free, free speech environment in this country for very long. It wasn't until the 1920s that the First Amendment of the United States Constitution actually applied to the actions of state and local governments. I think if you looked at the state of civil liberties in this country in the 1920s and you compare it to 2019, there is absolutely no comparison. We tend to make fun of college students these days. We call them snowflakes because they don't like to hear bad speech, but you know what? College students have to endure a lot more than the users of social media. One thing that every user of social media has the ability to do is block or mute, and that has no problem and no impact on the First Amendment. And when we're talking about social media censorship, we're often not talking about protecting your own eyes because you can protect your own eyes in the same way that you can choose not to watch Game of Thrones and miss out on the greatest show in the history of television. (laughs) You can make that choice. I can choose not to follow people on Twitter or more satisfyingly, I can choose to mute them so they're just screaming into the void, not knowing I never see it. So when we're talking about sanctioning social media censorship, what we're talking about is enabling me, enabling a panel, enabling a board somewhere of often incompetent composition as my debating partner has indicated, to decide not just what I am going to see, but to decide what everyone else will see on the basis of criteria that are broad and that are vague and that the very action of arguing about this facilitates the division that is right now tearing this country apart. The answer traditionally in American history to a bad speech is better speech. In social media, the answer to bad speech can be better speech or it can just be blocking but what we should not do in these new platforms that span the globe, that dominate much of American political discourse, is to unlearn the lesson that we have learned since the incorporation of the Bill of Rights in the 1920s to every state local branch of government, The free speech, for all of its problems, is the great moral renovator of our society, and we still have renovation to
1: do. Thank you, David French. And that resolution again, constitutional free speech principles can save social media companies from themselves. Here to make her opening statement against this resolution, Marietje Schake, Dutch politician and member of the European
0: Parliament. I can assure you that the First Amendment is the envy of many people in the world. But will it save social media companies from themselves? And that is the question this evening. To that the resounding answer is no. Because if the First Amendment could save social media companies from themselves, why hasn't it? And why are these companies in so much trouble? Because last time I checked, but you know this better than I do as Americans, the First Amendment does apply in this country. But privacy violations, the illegal collecting and selling of data, the live streaming of a gang rape, all happened. And also... If the First Amendment could save Facebook, Google, YouTube, Twitter from themselves, why would Mark Zuckerberg and other CEOs have to mislead us so much about their company practices? Secondly, I don't think billion dollar companies need to be saved. I think people do. Free speech protection in this country goes very far. Hear this Tweet Hitler was right. Question, what about the Holocaust? Answer, it was made up. Question, what race is the most evil to you? Answer, Mexican and black. Question, do you support genocide? Answer, I do indeed. A person is free to say this under the First Amendment, but the artificial intelligence bot called Tay that Microsoft developed was the one running the Twitter account that I was just quoting. Now, rights apply to people and persons, and I will really spare you my thoughts about Citizens United, but clearly a bot does not and should not enjoy the same protection of rights as people's speech does. But the problem is, on social media platforms like Facebook, Twitter or YouTube, you and I cannot tell the difference. Thirdly, the First Amendment is not the only law. That applies to people and the protection of their rights online. The right to privacy, data protection standards, intellectual property protection, children's rights, public health, they all require safeguards too. And thankfully, tobacco companies are not protected by the First Amendments if they were to go out and advertise that smoking is the best thing you can do for your health. So... Why are people and bots alike on social media suggesting that vaccinations will kill children, that methamphetamines are excellent for teenagers if they want to lose weight, or that a better life awaits after taking a suicide pill or after blowing oneself up, taking others along? And lastly, there is not enough oversight over the algorithms that govern social media companies' business models. And without this oversight, social media companies can make all kinds of lofty claims about how they're going to filter out fake news or how they're going to avoid the posting of copyright-violating messages. It is entirely unknown how these algorithms are working. So, concluding. While I believe that the First Amendment is crucially important, it is not at all enough to save social media companies from themselves, from doing harm to children, to people, our societies, and the world. Oh, and let me just stress this before uh, I really end, especially being the only non-American on the panel this evening, it is very important to remember that social media companies reach people all over the world. So that looking at American law, for American people only, is always going to fall short.
1: Thank you, Mircea Shake. And that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where our resolution is constitutional free speech principles can save social media companies from themselves. Now we move on to round two, and round two is where the debaters address one another directly and take questions from me and from you, members of our live audience here at the National Constitution Center in Philadelphia. The resolution, Constitutional Free Speech Principles Can Save Social Media Companies From Themselves. The two debaters arguing against this resolution, Corinne McSherry and David French, are making the assertion that at present, the system being used by these companies is fundamentally broken. They argue that free speech, even though they concede there's an awful lot of awful stuff happening out on social media, that free speech in the long long run tends to benefit society. It is the great moral renovator. Um, They also say that efforts being made already by these companies to limit speech are proving that it, it can't really be done in an effective way, that there are ridiculous and wrong-headed unintended consequences. The team arguing against the resolution, um, Maritia Schake and Nate Persily are arguing that, first of all, they are very pro-First Amendment, but as an inspiration for guiding these companies in forming their own policies, they say that doing so would be naive and undesirable and actually illegal, citing the example of countries like Germany, which have their own rules on this, They talk about the fact that a number of the social media accounts are actually bots. Do bots have uh, rights of of free speech or not? Uh, And basically they say the First Amendment on its own is not enough to save these companies from themselves, and it's misguided to take American principles and try to apply them globally around the world. I want to go to the team arguing against the resolution. I noticed that your opponents used the C word a number of times, censor, and censorship. It's a pejorative word, I think, in this context they're calling you they're they're saying that you're basically arguing for censorship. Nate personally, are you pro censorship?
4: No, I'm not pro censorship. The problem again is that you have no choice here. All right, what the social media companies are doing is organizing information for you, right? They make a dec- they have to make some decision as to what goes at the top and what goes at the bottom. That in and of itself, right, if it's done by the government is going to violate the first amendment. So, you can call it censorship, right? But it's Essentially, what the platform is, which is that it's curating and delivering information to you right it there's certainly the case that there are you know there are a parade of horribles on the other side right that they could uh, be over inclusive in their content, but the slope is slippery in both directions okay and so all of us are going to dig our heels in on some part of that slope. We're not going to say that um, the, you know, Facebook has to allow everything onto the platform, right? The question is, is it the First Amendment?
1: Corinne McSherry, uh, you did use the censorship word, and your opponents are saying... You can call that if you want, but it's not really the point here. So can you take on that response?
3: Sure, absolutely. So I think what we call it is is private censorship. I mean, the traditional way of thinking about censorship is censorship by governments, and, and this is different from that. But I would posit that it's in some ways, given how important social media platforms are right now, the decisions that are being made by a few corporations in Silicon Valley are having as much effect on online speech uh, and the future of online speech as anything any government is doing at the moment. Although I would flag that, by the way, governments often participate in these takedown decisions. Governments take advantage of community standards policies to force content offline that they could never do officially, but they do it via a community standards What's flag. An ex-
1: let me ask Maricha Shaki, you said earlier that the First Amendment is not enough. What else That's is right. needed? What is needed then? What is your, what, what is your vision? For well, the solution.
0: well, I believe one of the main challenges that we face both in Europe and in the United States is that currently the social media companies, the platforms specifically, they enjoy an exception of liability. They are claiming under this law, that they are a neutral platform. They're simply just connecting A Looks to B. Like the
1: phone company w- would be, like for example. Like the phone company
0: or like eBay. You know, what, Does eBay know that a stolen car is being sold, for example? No, it would say we're not liable for that. We're simply uh, connecting the, the seller and the buyer. So this exemption has, has gone, I think, uh, very, very far. And it is at friction with all kinds of business decisions, uh, the, the ranking that uh, uh, Professor Persily talked about, but also the takedowns that these companies do. So it is way too narrow to look at the problem that social media companies present only through the First Amendment lens.
2: So let me lodge a really strong objection to the characterization of the world that the First Amendment creates, okay? I feel like we're creating a a bit of a straw man that says the First Amendment world is anything goes at any time, no matter how awful and horrible. There are multiple situations where there are categories of conduct and behavior that are not protected by the First Amendment, such as targeted harassment, such as libel and slander, defamation, Uh, We have viewpoint neutral decency rules that govern the airwaves that are constitutional that prevent children from seeing pornography on broadcast television. So when we're talking about the First Amendment, we're not talking about a straw man First Amendment here. We're talking about the world we understand and experience, a world that protects people from harassment, that protects people from invasion of privacy, that protects people from libel, slander, and defamation. It is that the government is not discriminating amongst viewpoints to determine which viewpoints are gonna be privileged and which viewpoints are gonna be suppressed. That's the cardinal rule of the First Amendment. And that's what the social media companies struggle with so darn much. It took a village of people at Facebook, according to a recent Vanity Fair article, to decide whether feminists could argue, quote, men are scum. Okay, I'll tell you, I don't care. If they want to say men are scum, I might either engage or I might block them. But the idea that we're going to trust to Silicon Valley executives the determination of how feminists make their case is, I believe, that is what is repugnant to the First Amendment.
1: Men are scum. I wonder if we're going to debate that at some point down the road. <laughs> I do I not. Nate, personally, I, I want I to pick up from the point that, uh, that your opponent well, just made. So Sorry. You want to be in that debate, is um, that what you're saying? No, I you're signing up already? Um, I want to take a question to Corinne. We've been talking about offensive speech for the most part, but there's another thing that's out there, and that's this thing called fake news that became very, very prevalent and problematic since 2016, actually before that. And, and, it's the, and I mean real fake news. Well, I, I can't believe I'm saying real fake news. <laughs> <laughs> Story, stories that are put out there that are... are by, whose authors are knowingly aware that the information is false. Not, not the news that you don't like, but the stuff that's false. How does the First Amendment issue work into that? We're not talking... You know, is that content neutrality come into play there?
3: Well, I think that... The best way to approach, there's actually a lot of people who are trying to do research right now to figure out what's the best way to get at the fake news problem. It is not obvious to me that asking Silicon Valley to solve it for us is the right path forward any more than asking Silicon Valley to solve any Many, many other problems that we have, just if you let me digress just for a second, I noticed that Pinterest is now um, taking down content that's part of this sort of anti-vaccination movement. It seems to me that if you're worried about parents not vaccinating their children, maybe you shouldn't look to Pinterest to fix that problem for you. Maybe there are more effective ways of getting at that issue. And I feel the same way about a lot of the concerns that we have around protecting our elections. If we're worried about protecting democracy and protecting elections, maybe we should be thinking about things like, I don't know, gerrymandering or any number of millions of other things that are affecting our elections and perhaps focus a little bit less on this one symptom that we think maybe we can get at by calling Mark Zuckerberg on the carpet and asking him to do more and double down on what is already a completely failed system.
1: I'd like to go to the audience for some questions now. And the way that will work, if you raise your hand, a microphone will be brought to you. And I would ask you to stand up and tell us at least your first name and then ask your question. Does anybody have uh, anything to go with? Okay, right down front row here.
2: David Harrison, it, it seems to me the problem is, one, the huge mass of information that you have with the social media. Newspapers or radio are traditional forms of information, had a limited pool that they could pull from. Here, I don't understand really how even Zuckerberg or any of the major platforms can actually yeah. ch- pick and
1: choose. And so, I'd like you to talk about that because it is so vast. Let me bring that so, question to the, so to it the becomes side. It becomes almost an impossible Either way, it's impossible. Let let me bring that question to the side arguing against the resolution because it also picks up on something Corinne uh, McSherry said at the beginning, which is that it's kind of impossible to do. There's just so much out there. So... Take that on, Marisha. How do, if, if these companies are going to make these choices, how do they do it? Is there is there an army of 100,000 people checking? Is it algorithms? How does it actually happen?
0: Call me a pacifist, but I don't like to think about armies. Um, Legions. I think... Oh, that's, that's, <laughs> no,
2: that's
1: military also. Teens. Mob. A mob Hoards. of fact-checkers. Yeah, yeah.
0: No, but one of the main... Selectors uh, of what information comes first, this was the gentleman's question as well, and what, what information shoots to the top or goes down to the bottom is determined by algorithms. These algorithms are extremely influential. Uh, I'm, I'm the daughter and the sister of a doctor, and I, I recently saw a sign that I thought was very uh, clear in explaining this, which was in a doctor's office saying, please don't confuse your Google search with my medical degree. <laughs> And unfortunately, the consequences of these searches are are actually not that funny. There are people who think that by drinking olive oil or doing some kind of rain dance can be cured from cancer, even though they are very, very ill. So I believe that the way in which information is ranked... And the deeper impact on our democracy, uh, on our our, uh, rights, constitutional rights, universal human rights, needs to be scrutinized much more. So we need oversight over the algorithms in order to even know what the decisions are that they're making uh, and whether the intended and unintended consequences are not causing unacceptable harm.
1: More audience questions plus closing arguments from our panelists up next. This is Intelligence Squared U.S. I want to remind you that we are in the question and answer section of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan, your moderator. We have four debaters, two teams of two, debating this resolution. Constitutional free speech principles can save social media companies from themselves. Another question?
2: So my question is for the pro side. So it seems that you disagree with your opposition in regards to the effects that social media has on the democratic process. It seems that they're trying to maximize and you're trying to minimize it. So I guess I just formally asked, to what extent do you think social media has an impact on the democratic process and the way people cast their
1: ballots? Can I ask you to rephrase your question to make it more on the point and ask each side to, to take on this? Does their vision of the way things want to, uh, should go actually enhance or, or, or diminish democracy? So would you say that the First Amendment approach you're suggesting would be an enhancement to democracy and why?
2: I think it's an enhancement to democracy for a couple of reasons. I will say and I will acknowledge that social media is a divided place. America is a divided place. It was getting very divided before social media. It's continuing to be divided. But the the fundamental reality is that censorship itself is extraordinarily divisive. Censorship itself generates intense disagreement. Censorship itself can also even generate violence. The problem is when we talk about the negative effects of free speech... And there's, bad political, there's been bad political free speech forever. I mean, we act as if um, bad political speech is, created, uh, is just now creating problems. I mean, they made a musical about a vice president shooting a former Secretary of the Treasury in a duel. I mean, this is, this is something that's been going on for a long time. And the answer is to empower the user, the speaker. It is not to turn to Silicon Valley and say, save me from fake news. It is not to turn to Silicon Valley and say, save my delicate eyes when I can click a button and save my eyes myself. This is one of the fundamental problems. When we say turn to Silicon Valley and we say save me, what we almost always mean is punish them. That's what we tend to mean. We're looking to somebody else to fight our political battle for us, and that is not Silicon Valley's place.
1: The question is the, the vision as you lay it out, where these companies would be making more of these choices that your opponents find offensive, would that be an enhancement or a diminishment of democracy?
4: Again, they make these choices no matter what they cannot respect the First Amendment in the way that uh, they're
1: proposing here because they are making content-based decisions. I think the nature of the question is, if we're in a world where Facebook is saying you can't uh, be a Holocaust denier uh, on our, on our site or you're off, you can't be offensive against certain minority groups or you're off, is that an enhancement to the dem- democracy or uh, diminishing democracy? Well,
4: it's important to understand that there's more than just the American democracy at stake here, right? There are different democracies around the world that have different values, and so... You know my personal view is look, I do take a more libertarian approach for what I want to see on my feet, but you know what I go and I I go into those dark corners of the internet and I see what people are saying, but you have that right all this user uh, uh, power that he's talking about, you have that right right now Facebook if, or if, or you if to the be law
1: in Egypt tells Facebook that that they have to shut down a particular guy's talking yeah. that the government doesn't like, does Facebook go along with that and is that an enhancement to democracy
4: sometimes yes, sometimes no, and that it is an extremely difficult uh, decision for them right so Holocaust denial right they will they will take down actually in Egypt they wouldn't. Uh, and they're i mean this is uh, you know they have uh, really difficult choices that they have to make in different situations
0: well, I think the example of Egypt is is a very important one because this is not about what social media companies are doing and not doing only this is about the rights that protect people and people in countries where the rule of law does not apply are not protected yet they are subject to all kinds of information that's being shared now i believe very much that sharing more information and having more freedoms is is good for democracy, but we should not confuse those rights with the behavior of those companies. And I feel like that is is not clear enough uh, in the arguments that the other team are making. I would like to see how Social media companies are then actually applying the First Amendment besides the point that people might be empowered. Because I personally don't think we can put all the responsibility to understand the terms of use of all these tech platforms that would take hours, if not days, to read for non-lawyers, 16-year-old children, my uh, 80-year-old neighbor alike. I mean, do you understand what you're saying yes to?
1: So So, the fact that your opponents are arguing that in certain countries what you 're talking about just can 't fly because uh, they have different um, tolerance for for free speech. What do you do about that?
2: Well, you know look the default position of an American company, a social media platform that is seeking and is its purpose, its founding purpose of these companies are to provide platforms for people 's expression I mean like that this is this is part of the founding purpose of many of these, or of these organizations, that should be their default position. Now, if a law and another, another country is prohibiting them from uh, following this platform, then they have a choice to make. Do they comply with the law or do they pull out from that country? And we're casting a lot of these laws, guys, as if these laws are all really, the, all the laws out there are laws against Holocaust denial. No, no. If you're operating in China, if you're operating in many other countries, uh, the laws are suppressing dissent in a, a truly authoritarian and brutal way. And so some of these com- companies need to make hard choices and say, that's just, you know, the buck is not, incomp- is not compatible with the purpose of this platform and pull out. And so that we, we are continually casting censorship. I feel like my worthy opponents here are c- casting censorship as this beneficially and well-intentioned move. Internationally, censorship is not the same thing as like a bunch of administrators at Brown or Dartmouth trying to figure out a way to make their universities more welcoming. Internationally, censorship is more often than not a bunch of authoritarian thugs trying to make sure that they retain a decades or generations long hold on power. So let's not sugarcoat what this is here. And I believe Silicon Valley, if it is going to advocate and if it's going to be a part of Uh, trying to foster and cultivate a healthy democracy needs to think long and hard before it's going to operate in some of these countries.
1: I'm going to take one more question.
4: Thank you. Something struck me that one one of the speakers just said, and that was the purpose of the existence of these companies.
1: Is to sell ads. I heard that, too. I heard that, too. These companies are not there to spread
4: democracy. They're not there to spread truth. They're not there to spread justice. And they're not there just for people posting selfies. Would you not agree? The purpose of these companies is to collect data on users, to sell advertising, to sell products, and to take that data and sell it other places. Have these companies not made that clear? They are not okay. news organizations. I'm, I'm
1: going I'm to break in to, to relate the question to our resolution, which is this guy's saying baloney when you say these companies are there in any way to advance democracy and free speech and con- interconnectedness. They are there to make money.
3: So I want to speak directly to that point because I think that speaks to the irony of this whole proposition. We, let's take it as, as a given that we don't trust... Facebook, or any of these other companies very much, right? Maybe about as far as we can throw them. Why? Why in the world, then, do we nonetheless trust them to make good content moderation decisions?
1: Ten-second response from the other side? Should we trust these companies to do it? Sounds like you don't necessarily think so.
4: You know, we're here to uh, bury Facebook, not to praise it. You don't don't have to. to,
1: I uh, I have to say that concludes round two of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate where our resolution is constitutional free speech principles can save social media companies from themselves. Now we move on to round three, and round three will be brief closing statements from each debater in turn. Once again, the resolution, constitutional free speech principles can save social media companies from themselves. Making her closing statement in support of the motion, here is Corinne McSherry, Legal Director at the Electronic Frontier Foundation.
3: My job at the Electronic Frontier Foundation is to fight for your digital rights, and there's a reason I do that job, and that's because I'm still a little bit of an idealist about the internet. Now, I know that a free and open internet, well, it's never been fully free, and it's never been fully open, and so that's an ongoing project. But still, the internet represents an extraordinary, extraordinary idea that anyone with a computing device can connect to anyone else around the world to speak, to be heard, and to learn. Private censorship is fundamentally incompatible with that idea. But if the social media platforms are going to insist on putting themselves in the role of judge and jury, drawing lines between what speech is okay and what speech is not, then it seems to me that at the very least, they could be looking to the work of judges who have struggled for years to figure out exactly, to to draw those lines for themselves and for the nation. Again, what we are saying here is they should look to First Amendment principles to guide their conduct. My opponents had said, I wish that they would apply the First Amendment. They never have. Well, exactly. Maybe they should start.
1: Thank you, Corinne McSherry. And that motion, again, constitutional free speech principles can save social media companies from themselves. Here making his closing against the resolution, Nate Persily, professor at Stanford Law.
4: So an old law professor once said that uh, when the facts are on your side, you pound the facts. When the law is on your side, you pound the law. When neither is on your side, you pound the table, right? (laughs) I kind of think that our opponents are pounding the table here a little bit, right? Right to bring up the specter of China, to bring up the specter of these censors as if that is what we are arguing for is really misrepresenting the argument, okay? The facts and the law are on our side. So if you look at the facts of what is happening out there, the internet is this incredible uh, liberating technology that allows people to talk to anyone around the world, right? It also has these deep, dark spaces. You can choose what space you want to be in. The question is, should these companies be serving up this kind of information to you um, at the top of your news feed, at the top of your Twitter feed, and the like. Now, again, you can choose to to, uh, go into Gab. You can choose to go into Twitter. David French is wrong that each one of these platforms has said what they're about is providing free speech opportunities for every uh, person around the world and the like. That actually is Twitter's uh, principled position, that they are trying to allow individuals to broadcast Uh, everywhere around the world. Facebook actually has a different mission. So does Google, right? These companies, they decide, you know what, we're going to build transnational safe communities and the like. Now, it's not as if the resolution forces us in the position of saying, yes, Mark Zuckerberg should censor Republicans, right? That's not what we're arguing here. We are simply saying that the same rules that apply to governments are not the rules that should apply to platforms. And so that's why I focused in the rebuttal on anonymity, right? We all agree that anonymity is constitutionally protected. But if you are going to get at any of the problems that we all agree are happening online, whether it's foreign election interference, hate speech, bots that are that are essentially polluting the marketplace of ideas you cannot respect the constitutional right of anonymity in online conversations the final point and one that Maricha I think made very well which is that you cannot just think of these as american platforms with an american audience 80% of facebook users are outside the united states it's wrong for this company to then export its values
1: to the rest of the world thank you Nate personally for resolution one more time. Constitutional free speech principles can save social media companies from themselves. Making his closing for the resolution, David French, senior writer at National Review. So let's be really clear here.
2: My worthy opponent said he came to bury these companies, not to praise them. It is a very odd method of burying them to grant them greater power over your speech. We're talking about companies that in many ways have demonstrated their untrustworthiness, not just with your privacy, but with your voice. If you vote no on this resolution, you're voting yes to a committee somewhere. No, that's best case. Real world, you're voting yes to a person who's in a cubicle somewhere halfway across the country looking at pictures, and deciding with a click of a mouse, yes, no, yes, no, after a PowerPoint training and community standards, who's maybe seen enough weird stuff that they're now a flat earther. That was actually a report recently. Some of these content moderators are now flat earthers and 9-11 truthers, and they're deciding whether you get to speak. No, no. The bottom line is the person who decides whether you speak or not should be you. You have the power to see what you want to see on social media. You should also have the power to say what you want to say on social media. And if you don't like what's out there, the answer is to mute. The answer is to block. Or, God forbid, shut down the app or put down the phone. Now, I, I can't do that as a journalist. I'm just hopelessly addicted Uh, But that is something that you have in your power. The last thing that you should do when troubled by speech is to turn to Silicon Valley and say, help me, Mark Zuckerberg, you're our only hope. And that's why you should vote for viewpoint neutrality and say yes to this motion.
1: Thank you, David French the resolution again, constitutional free speech principles can save social media companies from themselves. Our final speaker will be speaking against the resolution, Marietje Schake, Dutch politician and member of the European Parliament.
0: I think from everything we've heard from both sides, it is safe to conclude that technology is not neutral. And that no one wants censorship, at least not here, in either one of the teams, or that a minister of truth, so to say, would be a very bad idea. So then why would we effectively accept that someone like Mark Zuckerberg but the other CEOs of the other social media companies are in a position of power to operate with their business models like ministers of truth? And this is far beyond free speech and the First Amendment. We're talking about the collection of data, the selling of data, the micro-targeting of people with ads to categories such as fans or interested in Joseph Goebbels, or having searched for information about depression and suicide. So, what I find baffling and unacceptable is that these companies, on the one hand, have made billions and billions of dollars by perfecting the targeting of ads to people on the basis of ever more precise categories. And yet, they claim how can we be part of preventing conspiracies and all kinds of lies that? jeopardize the public health for example to go from spreading around or child pornography for that matter the reason why they do not want to engage in this is that it would make them liable and if they would be liable their entire business uh, would be would be over and the idea that uh, it should be all the responsibility of the individual anyone from You all, to decide what you want to see, what you want to engage in, what you don't want to engage in, to what we heard, it's the responsibility of a Syrian journalist to want to engage or not. I believe that people are not informed enough currently to know what they're saying yes to. And in fact, these companies have violated agreements by selling and collecting data uh, invisibly all the time. So I think it is safe to say that people don't know enough to make informed decisions, that this is not only about free speech and the First Amendment, but about much more, and that certainly we can conclude that the First Amendment cannot save social media companies from themselves. So I urge you to vote against the motion.
1: Thank you, Mary Shockey. And that concludes our closing statements and round three of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. And now it's time to learn which side our audience here in Philadelphia feels has been most persuasive. So the resolution, constitutional free speech principles can save social media companies from themselves. We had you vote twice in the first vote. 38% of you agreed with this resolution. 27% disagreed. 35% were undecided. Those are the first results. Remember again, it's the difference between the first vote and the second vote that determines our winner. In the second vote, the team arguing for the resolution, constitutional free speech principles can save social media companies from themselves. Their first vote was 38%. Their second vote, 36%. They lost two percentage points. The team arguing against the resolution, their first vote was 27%. Their second vote was 59%. They pulled up 32 percentage points. That makes them the winners. The team arguing against the resolution, constitutional free speech principles can save social media companies from themselves. Our winners. Congratulations to them. Thank you for me, John Donvan, and Intelligence Squared U.S. We'll see you next time. This Intelligence Squared U.S. debate was recorded live at the National Constitution Center in Philadelphia. Robert Rosencrantz is our chairman. Leah Mathow is chief content officer. Amy Kraft is Director of Operations and Production. Shea O'Mara is Manager of Editorial Operations. Mary Dew and Rob Christensen are the radio producers. Damon Whittemore is the audio engineer. And I'm your host, John Donvan. These debates are made possible by generous contributions from listeners like you and with support from the Rosencrantz Foundation, David A. Coulter, Robert Epstein, the Christopher W. Johnson Charitable Trust, Ilona Namath and Alan Quasha, the George L. Orstrom Jr. Foundation, Jerry Orstrom, Kelly Posner Gerstenhaber, the Mortimer D. Sackler Foundation, and Jennifer and Philippe Salendi From Intelligence Squared U.S. and me, John Donvan, thanks to all of you.